Studies we've seen have lowball estimates of an additional $200 billion in lending capacity just by the reduced Tier 1 capital ratio amount. So that $800 billion you're talking about with improved lending capacity suddenly is a trillion dollars, and that could be outperforming the tariff headwinds by a factor of five over the next 12, 18 months. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. This is John Lynch, Chief Investment Strategist for LPL Financial, and I am delighted to welcome my friend and colleague, Jeff Bookbinder, dialing in from Boston for today's podcast. Jeff, how are you? I'm doing great, John. Thanks. How about yourself? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. I appreciate your stepping in. I think all our listeners should be aware that Jeff is stepping in for Ryan Dietrich today. Jeff being a Kansas City Chiefs fan and Ryan is a Cincinnati Bengals fan. Ryan had to call in sick today after the beatdown your Chiefs gave him yesterday. Uh, Jeff, care to comment on that? Yeah, I think a lot of Bengal fans uh, are, are calling in sick this morning. That was, uh, <laughs> that was a rough one. Just um, direct uh, the think, trash uh, talk to Ryan, please. Chiefs, <laughs> Chiefs fans should be pretty excited. That uh, offense looks uh, tough to stop. Uh, and then uh, even got pretty good performance out of the defense, too. So a uh, well-rounded win. Well, Andy Reid's doing a great job. And that Kareem Hunt really reminds me a lot of myself out there. Pretty impressive the way he was playing. He can break tackles. And uh, for that one play where he, he jumped over the defender was was tremendous. Yeah, that was incredible. Really, uh, incredible. He's great talent. Yeah, but Ryan is actually traveling today. So no need to send any well wishes, Ryan. Ryan will recover from the game, and hopefully he's traveling safely. Uh, So for today's agenda, Jeff, I think it's important. This week's big news will be third quarter GDP report. Uh, With the uh, midterm elections coming up, I think it'll be very important for us to provide our listeners with some of our thoughts on some of the policy implications for the economy and the financial markets. And finally, it always comes down to the holy grail, which you and I believe are earnings. And we've got, uh, so far, pretty good earnings for the third quarter. So we'll cover GDP policy and earnings for this call today. Uh, First off on GDP... Jeff, we clearly had very strong growth in in the second quarter. We were north of 4% U.S. GDP, gross domestic product, total output of all goods and services in the U.S. economy. A lot of that was fueled by, you know, improvements relative to consumption, relative to capital investment. Clearly, some of the changes we've seen in fiscal policy, as we wrote in the 2018 outlook, really came to fruition in the second quarter, whether it be reduced regulation in financials and energy, the lower tax rate for consumers, and clearly the incentives for business investment and repatriation, that's really helped drive growth. So what are you looking at for the third quarter, Jeff? Yeah, well, on, um, I mean, on GDP, we're, we're looking at um, 3.2 consensus, and could even be better than that. You've got a, a little bit of an uptrend in terms of forecast. That GDP number was 3% just a couple months ago, now 3.2 for Bloomberg consensus. Then you've got Atlanta Fed now cast number that's 3.8. That can be a little high at times, but uh, nonetheless, a lot of folks think, you know, in the mid threes or even a little bit better this quarter, which would be really strong. Um, the you know, probably the best news for me as the earnings guy here is the connection between GDP and manufacturing and earnings. So good numbers across the board, uh, I think, bode well for uh, for earnings season, which I know we're going to talk about more in a bit. That's right. But you, you, you make a good point because earnings tend to be a good indicator for employment, tend to be a good indicator, therefore, for income, tend to be a good indicator for consumption, and then it just becomes a virtuous cycle. So uh, GDP, we're excited to see that number. 
you mentioned the Atlanta Fed. Very interesting work they do, but it always seems to be higher than consensus. And I'm not sure, you know, we'll see a print of 3.8, although I'm not sure anybody will be happier about that than me. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, we get a three-handle mid-threes, particularly given the hurricane, right? I think we need to be mindful of that, that we might lose half a percent of GDP this quarter compared to last quarter as a result of the two hurricanes that we experienced over the past four to six weeks. So that that could weigh on activity for the third quarter. But history has shown that you, you, whatever hit you take to output as a result of a, a disaster such as that or such as those the rebuild tends to be additive to GDP going forward. So I think that's something investors should keep in mind. Another hot topic with the election only a few weeks away for the midterms, policy continues to play a very big role. Wouldn't you agree, Jeff, not only in the economy, but the financial markets? Oh, absolutely. It's in the headlines today. Uh, the Republicans are talking about a tax cut potentially before the midterm. You know, I, th- I think it's important for folks to keep in mind that the, it's not like tax reform impacts just end at December 31st, 18, right? Yeah. There's a lot of talk about how we're anniversarying those effects and that earnings will slow, or the economy will slow, uh, frankly, in, in, in 2019. But there's some pieces to that. It's not just the cut in the tax rate, the corporate tax rate. It's, there's other things there, too, like capital spending incentives and the repatriation. Those have tails to them. And we're seeing benefits to those now, and we're going to see benefits to those, I think, into 19. Yeah, I'd have to agree. We have some legs to this expansion, and and policy has a lot to do with it. You know, you made a comment about the, uh, you know, we're taping this early Monday morning, and we did see headlines this morning regarding potential for a tax cut before the midterms. Now, that's only a couple weeks away, and Congress is not in session. So I'm not going to bet the farm on a tax cut before the midterm. But I do think it's important for investors to keep in mind our belief that uh, there is some momentum behind these fiscal incentives. I see an awful lot of commentary about how we're already seeing the cliff on this stuff. And, um, you know, if consumers and small businesses saw... Hundred and twenty billion this year, and then businesses saw an additional eighty billion in incentives in tax, lower tax rate. Rather, we think the consumer alone will see two hundred billion in twenty nineteen, particularly when you look at AMT refunds, which were not part of uh, personal consumption this year. So, when you factor that in, uh, I use the two thousand three two thousand four example relative to repatriation when there was six hundred billion overseas. They had the tax holiday then, and half of that came back. So we were looking at $2 trillion in overseas profits. Um, we suspect half of that will come back. We saw, I guess, the first print in the first quarter was about $300 billion. The second print in the second quarter was 150. So that's $450 billion already year-to-date. We've got a couple of hundred billion in tax receipts. We have uh, government spending. Uh, we had that additional spending package in February or March of this year that called for an additional $300 billion in spending over a two-year period. So you look at $150 billion there. You know, pretty soon we're talking real money to offset some of these tariff concerns. What do you have to say about that, Jeff? Yeah, the, uh, the numbers are really compelling when you think about, even if you have a, you know, the tariff rates go up to 25%. The amount of stimulus stimulus that's been um, put into this economy is is enormous, and even if you want to make a very conservative estimate for repatriation dollars, uh, you 
you know, you could easily come up with a number like $800 billion total, including mm-hmm. the tax cuts, including the government spending package, and including repatriation. Even in what we think is probably a worse, reasonable worst-case scenario for the tariffs, you still got more stimulus coming in. Uh, it's a near $20 trillion economy. Uh, this this economy is very strong, and uh, we think strong enough to offset uh, the impacts of the tariffs, at least based on the way we see them uh, playing out at this point. Sure. Of course, we're going to have recession someday. We always do. But when you look at how this, uh, you know, the momentum behind the fiscal tailwinds, we think uh, can certainly offset the tariff headwinds. You know, and another thing, I don't know if we do a good enough job emphasizing to investors, but, you know, Jerome Powell is obviously the head of the Federal Reserve, but the vice chair has a pretty big role also, Randall Quarles, and he has uh, been an advocate of reducing the stress on the stress tests for the major lending institutions. And studies we've seen have lowball estimates of an additional $200 billion in lending capacity just by the reduced tier one capital ratio amount. So that $800 billion you're talking about with improved lending capacity suddenly is a trillion dollars, and that could be outperforming the tariff headwinds by a factor of five over the next 12, 18 months. So I think that's something that uh, investors really need to embrace because you get that sort of uh, tailwind behind you. You know, certainly we don't want to be dismissive of deficit spending risks and how, you know, the bond market will respond to uh, an absence of Federal Reserve backstopping treasury auctions to finance the deficit. But nonetheless, there are pretty pretty impressive tailwinds there. So moving on from from policy, uh, you know, Jeff, you are earnings guru. So let's talk about earnings in the third quarter. We're a week and a half into it, and so far it looks like earnings are coming along real well. Yeah, they are, John. Uh, we're um, tracking about 22% year-over-year earnings growth, which is only a little bit better than where we were expected to be at September 30 when the quarter ended, uh, but it's still real early. We're not even one-fifth of the way done. When you look at the breadth of upside surprises thus far, the amount of upside surprises thus far, it does suggest we're going to see more of a modest beat when when all the numbers are in. So we've, we've gotten used to these really big upside surprises expectations, you know, five, six, seven percentage points. Um, this one's probably going to be more like two, maybe three. So that could put us in the neighborhood of a 24% increase. But I don't want folks to think that that's bad because 24% is nothing to apologize. I mean, that about. is, uh, that's a really strong uh, increase. So, you know, one narrative out there is, well, this is the growth peak and it's only going to get worse from here. Well, uh, we have a long way to go between call it 24% growth, and sub-7, which would be the area that's below the long-term average uh, earnings growth rate. So uh, this cycle still has a ways to go, we think, and um, there's, as I mentioned up front, there's macro indicators that suggest that this isn't just a you know quarter or two more of earnings growth and then we're going to see earnings declines. Uh, we, we think uh, any concerns about that are misguided. Absolutely. We're bound to see peak earnings and, you know, headlines uh, as this quarterly earnings season plays out. And I think it's really important for investors to appreciate that, uh, yeah, we've seen 25 percent in the first quarter, 25 percent in the second quarter or so. Call it 20 to 23 percent, 24 percent this quarter. So you're bound to see 
those sorts of headlines about earnings peak. And a couple of points on that. We did, actually, you did great work. You and Ryan partnered on this, talking about earnings cycles. The last, I guess we covered the last 10 or 12 earnings cycles um, in our mid-year outlook, the plot thickens. And what we did there was really identify how long, what was the duration between a peak in earnings and when the next recession was. And what you guys found and what we found at LPL Research was that once earnings peak, it takes approximately four years before the economy slips into recession. And over that four-year period, on average, the market was up cumulatively north of 50%. So the whole idea that you know earnings have peaked head for the hills is uh, clearly a mistake and not an appropriate investment strategy, certainly not something we will be employing. So I think that's one point we need to emphasize, but also the duration of the profit cycle. We had profits essentially flat in 14, 15, and 16, the S&P operating earnings probably 117 or 118 dollars didn't really move and then we saw the good print last year certainly a much better print this year and even if we see for the year of 20 percent earnings growth or so in 2018 we're still projecting earnings along the order of magnitude of call it a 10 percent increase on a year-over-year basis so there may be some headlines saying earnings growth is cut by half but I still think that we should be emphasizing to investors that earnings can still be growing one and a half or two times their historical average next year. And uh, I think that's something that should keep investors focused on the fundamentals and not getting caught up on headline-driven volatility. What do you think about that, Jeff? Yeah, uh, that's, I think that's right. The, um, some of these leading indicators of earnings are, are really sending positive signals, right? The ISM manufacturing index is a big one. Um, but also keep in mind that nominal GDP growth is tied to earnings uh, as well. So that's uh, real GDP growth, which is what's widely reported, plus the inflation rate. And so as inflation moves gradually higher, that gives companies pricing power. That actually supports revenue growth. So at this stage, of the cycle, even if you don't get any margin expansion, because this is a very difficult time for companies to expand margins as wages rise and interest rates rise. Um, still, uh, with buybacks uh, and, and all the growth and the stimulus that we talked about, we could easily see 6-7% revenue growth uh, next year, uh, potentially. So um, that's a really strong uh, environment for uh, for corporate America, and you just Keep margins the same, and and you're, you know, you're up ten. Yeah, and even keeping margins the same at ten percent. I mean that that sounds like an out of body experience for me, right? Because uh, margins have been hovering in that area for four or five years now, or three or four years, and to the extent that we have to apologize for margins, which are historically what? How would you characterize that, Jeff? Five or six percent. Uh, now that we're essentially not quite double that, you know, even if we if we decline by a point, that's something. Uh, that I wouldn't view as fundamentally crippling for the profit cycle. But you mentioned uh, earnings growth also. What do we see in this year? Maybe eight or nine percent, and even if we slip to six or seven percent, it's not just tax cut driven, is it, Jeff? On the on the top line? No, uh, definitely not. I mean, more inflation helps. Uh, a good GDP growth uh, figure for next year uh, certainly helps. But you've also got some uh, potential for more growth in, in uh, the energy sector. 
and in financials, right? These are areas of the market that are that have been kind of depressed. Right. So, um, you know, the the Wall Street lingo is easy comparisons, right? So hmm. we still have some easy comparisons here uh, that... A hundred percent of nothing is still nothing, right? <laughs> yeah, they can work for us, right? I mean, financials in particular, we've been waiting for more loan growth there. Uh, we've been waiting for a steeper yield curve there. Those things haven't really helped earnings all that much yet. Mm-hmm. So there's clearly runway. Financials are expected to grow earnings 40% this quarter. That's one of the biggest sectors of the market. Uh, energy, you alluded to it, 90% or so this quarter. We're going to see you know, oil's up uh, around 70 bucks. Mm-hmm. That's uh, 50% above roughly where it was a year ago. We're going to continue to see solid earnings growth out of the energy sector here for uh, a little while. And by the way, the dollar uh, could weaken, and that is supportive of earnings. This quarter, we're actually getting a tiny bit of a headwind uh, against overseas earnings for U.S. multinationals. Mm -hmm. You add in a tailwind from the uh, dollar next year, and and then it's very easy to see uh, another double-digit earnings growth year. And that's a good point when you talk about the dollar, because uh, we've talked about this on recent podcasts, how Fed Chair Powell is not burdened by the expectations of a Ph.D. in economics. And we think while the the Fed's official mandates are clearly price stability and uh, ensure as full an employment situation as possible, uh, they have to be mindful of financial market volatility. But when you think about the emerging space, right, 85 percent of the world's consumers all that, what is it, $4 trillion denominated debt taken out over the past decade. Powell cannot allow the dollar to get too strong, which would cause emerging currencies to get so weak, even, even if you strip out the crises with current account deficits in Argentina and Turkey, for example. But when you look at uh, emerging Asia, for example, and just focus on that, food costs represent maybe a third of their consumer pricing measures, where it's only 10% here in the West. Uh, you've got debt interest servicing payments that the Fed has to be mindful of whether or not it's part of their official mandate. And then you have to be mindful of capital flows as well. So I think they're on it that they're not willing to uh, make a policy mistake. They certainly don't want to cause a, a global financial crisis. So we, we believe that the Fed won't be as aggressive as many believe next year. Consequently, that will be supportive of earnings going forward and also, we believe, supportive of, uh, of the overall economy. So you talk about energy, you talk about financials. Energy certainly been a beneficiary of regulation, financials to some degree, but the aforementioned Jerome Powell clearly made that speech that you attended a few weeks ago. And uh, when he said the U.S. economy was remarkably positive and market obsession switched literally in an instant, from a flattening yield curve to a steepening yield curve. And to the degree that yield curve continues to gradually steepen, that clearly is a benefit for the net interest margin, which is a prime driver of uh, banks and and the financial sector in the S&P 500. So, Jeff, we're just about out of time. I do want to thank you for your participation. I thought you were very honorable, not gloating too much about the Kansas City Chiefs win last night. So we'll see if Ryan will recover enough to be back with us next week. But for all our listeners, pay attention to GDP this week. You know, we've had a lot of volatility these last several weeks, and I think it's so important to focus on the fundamentals. And if you see a three-handle on GDP, 
20 handle on earnings earnings growth. Uh, anytime you see weakness, we think that's an opportunity, particularly when you not only think of GDP, but think of some of the policy tailwinds we're seeing. Again, fiscal tailwinds offsetting tariff headwinds. And then finally, just looking at the strong cash flow story, the strong revenue story, powering the strong earnings story uh, for the remainder of 2018 and what we believe to be through 2019 as well. So with that, Jeff, I want to thank you very much. Any closing comments for our listeners? Well, um, yeah, I just want to say um, we still like emerging markets. China is stimulating. They're talking about a tax cut today. Uh, that market up strongly overnight. Pay attention to uh, emerging markets in China this week. Absolutely. Great call out. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC, Securities and Advisory Services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.